things we were very careful about is going, one of the things, sorry, let's say one of the things again. Um, Jesus is passionate about being invited. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He, he waits for an invitation. He gives invitations. And so the last thing we want to be doing is barging into land, land that God isn't calling us to claim, declaring it God's. Does that make sense? Going, ah, this below, and it's actually, well, actually, this is my house. Please go away. And, you know, and so part of this thing is about inviting, but we also felt that what we could do is, is to proclaim the lordship over Marlborough. And so we picked some strategic places. So we sent some people out to the Wairo Bar where the, where the Wairo River meets the ocean, symbolic of where what goes through Blenheim comes out of Blenheim. And what God wants to do from Blenheim and its legacy. You know, our wine goes all over the world. Why not our gospel? Why not his gospel be sent from this place? You know, as we send missionaries and as we send, you know, all these sorts of things. And so we sent people to pray about that. Uh, we sent some people up the, 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 um, where the hills, thank you. You know, it's sitting up on the top there. The Bible says, you know, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so let's pray for the influence of church. Jesus also said, it's been said again here today. You know, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will be able to say to this mountain, the mountain that Jesus pointed to was the mountain with Herod's castle on it. So he was speaking about strongholds. He was speaking about things that, and so we sent them up there and said, you know, pray for the influence of the church in Blenheim and pray for the strongholds that are over Blenheim. Break them, pray through them. And, and the other place, Seward said to me, I feel like we should go to the Taylor River because it's the river that flows through the center of town. And I thought, yeah, that sounds good. And so I started looking, going, well, where are we going to go? And I found this space, which you know, I'm, I'm aware of. You might have been aware of. Um, I wasn't aware of, I should say, but I am now. And the space is down behind the Boathouse Theater. There's that big patch of grass there. And there's a little round wooden thing with a seat on it. And what happens there is that is the junction of the Opawa River and the Taylor River. And the thing that I found particularly moving as I looked at the map is that the Taylor River starts and ends within the boundaries of Blenheim. But the Opawa River starts way up and then goes all the way out the other side. And there's this interesting thing that happens because at the junction point, the Taylor River is the wider river. It's the, you know, the other thing comes out from under the ground and you kind of go, if you didn't know it was a river, you'd think that was just the end of it. Maybe it's just the Taylor River pokes into a hole somewhere, but it's the Opawa River. But what happens where they meet is the Taylor River becomes the Opawa River. It submits, it loses its identity in the one that has gone further before and goes long after. And as I looked at it, I went, this is a prophetic place for our region and for what God is doing. And so we went down and we prayed there. It was this amazing time, wonderful time. Uh, we took communion together. We shared communion with the land. I don't have time to explain all of that. You should have been here yesterday if you want the explanation of that. Um, but just this really powerful time. Virgil stood on the edge and just sang in Tereo over the, and it was, oh, it was just absolutely magnificent to glorify Jesus in that place. And I was aware as I was standing there that it was like God was saying to me, that this, is, this is symbolic of of what's going to happen in this town, with what runs through the town connects with what is greater, what is bigger, and loses its identity to Jesus. And finds, and, and, but let me clarify, finds its identity anew in Jesus. And so we were talking about that, there was a lot that went on, but the, the, the amazing thing for, to me was, it was so tucked away. And I felt like, you know, just in the same way that Jesus says, those who seek find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. Those who ask will receive. 
And I feel like a big part of what God is wanting to do is, is show us the places and the way that he is working already in our town that we have not seen. It's like, you know, Sue commented that it was like entering another, it's just so peaceful, and then you come back out and go, huh, traffic. And so Sue and I are now fighting for a new prayer space, because, you know, I like it even more than Harling Park now. So, <laughs> so we, but we had this amazing time, just the, the, the peace of God that was there, and again, we believe symbolic, not only of that space, but of what we're doing in Blenheim. Uh, so, yeah, anyone else want to share from their time? You've had some time to think now, some time to plan, some time to... Fantastic. Excellent. Yep, go. Sorry. Um, This didn't happen with our group um, yesterday, but Shannon shared that we did communion with the land, and I bumped into a man um, after I'd done all this at the supermarket, and there's some things going down in my life that he knows about, and he says, I've been talking to God about you, and, and, um, you know, no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, and... And he says, and God's raising you up to be an intercessor. And I said, hmm, said, funny that, I've been out praying around the town today. And he said, now this man lives off Budge Street. And he said, well, you know that um, where the supermarket burnt down? And I said, yep. And he said, that's by his house. And he, he was talking to the Lord and said, man, that would make a good place for a church. It would be a really good community centre, really. Anyway, and then a few months later, he heard that there was going to be a mosque on that site. And so that kind of upset him a bit, and he's like, well, hmm. So he said the Lord told him to go and have communion on that piece of land. Now, I hadn't said communion to him. And he went down, he tried to get some friends to come with him. He said nobody had come with him. So he said he went down there feeling like a right wally and sat in the middle of that piece of land and had communion. And asked, you know, whatever he prayed for it. He said within two months... Apparently, this is how the story goes, within the Muslim community, they had so much in-house fighting that they've withdrawn any plans to put a mosque on that piece of ground. So, next time God tells you to go and have communion in the middle of a piece of land, or whatever he does that makes you feel really stupid and silly, and there's power in what he says. So good. So good. That's what that phone message is about, clearly. That's, yeah, good. Easy. Good chat. Yeah. It's cool. Anyone else? Does anybody else just want to share a little? Oh, here comes Bo. Yep. It's all right. You, you're moving faster than Claire, so that's... <laughs> you're supposed to be nice to your mother-in-law. Yeah, so um, the young lass at the back and I went up to the Wither Hills yesterday, and... Um, it was just lovely. We um, we only got as far as the um, the water tank, um, but it was high enough that you could see all of Marlborough, Cloudy Bay, just right across uh, all the different bits and pieces that you could see. And it was just really nice to be able to pray over the land, pray over all the schools, pray over Omaka Morai, uh, where the school was, um, pray just over all the beaches, the airports, um, you know, the, everything to do with... Um, what Blenheim stands for. But while we were coming down off the hill, one of the things we noticed was that there was a couple of pilots practicing in their aeroplanes. Um, and it was just so amazing to see them do the amazing things that they do with those aeroplanes. And uh, one of the things we reflected on was just how God has given us a spirit that soars like eagles. And we desire to be in a place where we can soar and do amazing things like these pilots were doing.
But God gave us the intelligence to invent those airplanes so that we could fly them. And this is the beauty of God. God gives us the passions, but he also gives us the skills to outwork those passions. So when God calls you to a ministry of intercession or of healing or of ministry or of preaching or of service, he gives you those skills. So good. So good. I've been really encouraged just over the last you know, two weeks, the way that this consecration has gone for us. How many people have engaged with it in some way or form in the last two weeks? You've done some, you know, I don't care whether you've done all of it, whether, you know, um, well, I do. Uh, you know, what I'm going to encourage you to do, see, this is 15 days, uh, but actually it goes on because these are always things that we're constantly submitting to God. And so I want to encourage you to, to, to keep hold of that, to keep going through that. If you stopped getting them halfway through, we realized it's because some spam filters decided that if you're getting a daily email from someone, it must be spam, and therefore just started doing that. So check your spam folder. That's probably where it is. And uh, <laughs> if it's still not there, talk to Sue, because, again, we want you on our mailing list. Um, but this is an ongoing thing. But this, today is about consecrating our church. And for different people, that will mean different things. If you've already read it before you came this morning. Uh, people read it before they came this morning? Yeah, good, perfect. Um, you know, it could be our building, but actually Jesus talked about the church being the bride of, the, bride of Christ. And so what we want to do is, is it's, you know, it's partly about our buildings. We might do some stuff around that a little bit later. Uh, but I also want to talk about what it looks like to be a consecrated body uh, because a lot of what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks has been about consecrating ourselves, our individuality, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our emotions, our, our jobs, you know, which I think is a, is a great analogy. One of the, oh, in fact, I want to build on that um, just because I was prompted while we were worshipping. This is the joys of just letting God do what God does. Uh, I, I had a picture. Some of you will know I've been talking a few weeks. God sent me out to buy a chessboard. Uh, because he was, I keep getting these, okay, let, let me despiritualize that a little bit. I'd been having a lot of visions and a lot of words about chess pieces and chess movements, and, the, and went, this would be way easier if I had a chessboard. So I went out and bought a chessboard. Um, the word of the Lord. And, and so one of the things that God said to me, and I took the staff through this, I've, mentioned, I've alluded to it in the last couple of weeks, but I want to talk, especially as Bex was talking about your position, is this, uh, you know, I had this, this picture of a, you know, like there's a chessboard and there's a goal. And the goal overall is to the kingdom of light to take the kingdom of darkness. That's, well, there is no kingdom of darkness. We talked about that last week. Anyway. And so what happens within that is that God is the master of what's happening. Eh? He exists outside of time. He's constantly two steps ahead, a thousand steps ahead of you ahead of your ancestors, ahead of your legacy. And so one of the questions that God asked me in this moment as I was sitting praying in my office was, do I have permission to position you? Because I, I'm aware of how often we can get to this place of going, oh, I don't want to do that, or why am I here, or I don't understand what this is doing. And what happens in a game of chess is often one piece gets moved, and then a good chess player might not come back to that for seven or eight moves, and you go, why am I here? What happens? What the, you know, now, I'm a terrible chess player. I'll own it. I've got a chessboard, so I might get better. But so far, I have not played a single game on it. I've just used it as prayer illustrations. And uh, money well spent. And so 
But one of the things that I do, because I'm not good at chess, is that entire front row is pretty much cannon fodder. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't know what you do with a pawn. You try to get it to the other side. It never makes it, because I don't have any skill. So for me, it's like, get these ones out of the way so I can use, use the, the back ones, and then I lose. And I don't know quite how that works, but whatever. But a good chess player knows the position of every piece. And every, there is no move that doesn't count for something. Even if it's a move to, to distract, to throw off, to, to create an illusion that something else is happening, every single move has a purpose. And I felt like God said to me, you know, that there's some people that you feel in this whole thing about position, but also this is going to come back into what we're talking about with church. Some people who you feel like God's moved you to something and you go, why am I here? I feel like, God, you put me here three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. I don't feel like you've touched me since. And actually, what we've failed to do is look around the rest of the board and see why God has put us here. Sometimes the placement and the position that God has put you in is actually for someone else's promotion. We're all so okay with that this morning. <laughs> you know, one of the things... Um, I've always dreamed if we had a baby boy of, of the, the name Andrew is important to me. Uh, it's my dad's middle name, which I don't think has anything to do about do with it. But for, for part of for, for part of it for me is Andrew in the Bible brought people to Jesus. Andrew brought his brother Peter to Jesus, and that's all the Bible says about him. And there's days that I go, man, it must suck to be Andrew. Because Andrew hears this great preacher, Jesus, goes home and goes, Peter, well, Simon, because that was his name at that point. You know, come with me. I've just met this really cool guy. You've got to meet him. He's awesome. So Peter goes, oh, yeah, all right. And so sort of follows Andrew, gets there, and Jesus goes, Peter, that's your new name, and you're coming with me. And Andrew goes, okay, bye. It's... But if Andrew hadn't done what God had called Andrew to do, there would be no Peter. And so again, I'm grateful that there's an Andrew. And so some of you, you might be in a place and go, God, I don't know why you've put me here. Maybe God's put you somewhere to be an Andrew for someone else's Peter. If we can submit to that and be okay with that, that is the greatest thing God could ever do. The other thing that I felt like is this, for some of you, it's like God has put you in a place and you go, I like it here. This is good. The word of the Lord, praise be to God. And then you feel them like going to move you. And you go, hey, this is a good position. I'm safe. I'm behind the other pieces. And, or I'm in front of the other pieces. I feel elevated. I feel whatever. And then the hand of God comes to move you. And you go, I don't like that. <laughs> and so the, the message again to me from God was, do I have permission to position you? Can I put you where I want you to go? And one of the things that I'm trying to learn, you know, again, over the last couple of weeks, it's been about yielding, 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 understanding that I am more valuable in the hands of God than in my own hands or in the hands of anybody else. And so from there, I want to build into this whole idea about consecrating the church, consecrating the body, because part of what we have to realize as we come together as a church is over the last couple of weeks, there's been a whole lot of consecrating the individual, consecrating the self, consecrate, which is all important. Your personal relationship with Jesus is important. But it's also worth understanding that Jesus was always interested in community salvation. He was always interested in community harmony. And so one of the things that comes on, and, and I believe what we're talking about today, 
uh, as God writes it, uh, is, is that we are more than just one piece. We are a team. And like I say, the, the, there's, there's something that happens, and part of, I believe, consecrating the church and consecrating the body and the bride of Christ is realizing that we exist for a purpose that is greater than just ourselves. And part of that is actually positioning ourselves in that. You know, I, I preached a sermon here uh, a couple of years ago on ants and circus fleas. Were any of you around then? It was one of my quality preaching days, you know. It was. But one of the things that I learned in this whole study, and, and it came out and it reflected something to me about God, is that the entire life purpose of an ant is the preservation of the colony, is the legacy of the colony, is the advancement of the colony. And so they live in these communities. And, and I was watching this documentary because documentaries fascinate me. I've reached that age in my life. Like, oh, it's weird. It's like, I used to sit, Dad used to sit and watch the Discovery Channel and the Nature Channel. And I'd be like, oh, can we put Cartoon Network on? Or like literally anything else. And now I'm like, yeah. Man, who built those pyramids? Aliens. You know, and you, get, you, you, you go through like seven different documentaries and go, nobody knows. Nobody has a clue what happened there. <laughs> and, everyone, and, and so that, that is the phase that I'm at in my life. It's, um, this year was ancient Greece. I've been doing all the Greece ones. But anyway, two years ago, this one on ants. And they had this thing. They had this beer that came, because these are these ants in America that build, ours build under the ground. These ones build these big mounds. Eh? And this beer came, and he wanted to eat it, because dirt, delicious. Uh, and so he starts digging this thing up. And all the ants, they run to the surface, and they all position themselves, and they all have this ability to spit acid, but it's not a very good ability to spit acid. On its own, it does nothing. But when they're all there, and they all spit acid, it starts to just irritate the bear, and the bear goes, oh, and then he runs away. The interesting thing to me about this is that all of those ants understand that because, again, they've got this little tiny bit of acid, and, and like, Ants can lift a whole lot. They can't throw a whole lot. Have you ever seen an ant do a shot put? It's not. And, and so, you know, really good at weightlifting, not so good at shot put. And, and so what they understand is because they're on this mound, right? And so if you're at the top of the mound and you've got to go that way and you're at the bottom of the mound, you are in the firing line of the ant on the top of the mound. And so these ants all understand on some level that part of the preservation of the colony means I might get, I might get done. I might, I might lose my life. And in fact, it might not be the beer that takes me out. It might be serving the ones I love. Does that remind you of anybody? Jesus modeled that perfectly when he said, I'm going to come into your world your colony, and fight for it, and probably even lay my life down for it. What does that say about how we ought to live as Christians? Not that we should automatically aspire to get people in our firing lines. I don't think that's the, the application. Not that as the church we should be hurting each other intentionally or accidentally. That's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is that the message of the kingdom and the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than my promotion, is more important than my position, is more important than anything I could do in my lifetime. The greatest thing I could do is ensure that his name goes longer. The greatest thing I could do is let my river join his and submit to his name. 
great preaching show. So So I want to talk about what that looks like. And this morning we're going to take communion together. And we're not going to pour any on the carpet. It's okay to do it in the dirt when you take it with the lamp, but not on the carpet, please, kids. But I want to talk about a few things that I felt God talked to me about what it looks like to consecrate a church. What it looks like to come together and to go. Uh, we want to be in tune with each other. See, I came in to pick up the guitar yesterday for when we were doing consecration with the land. And I picked up the guitar, and it was perfectly in tune with itself. Perfectly in tune with itself. I assume maybe to you, you tuned it by ear. The joys of being tong and, and having that ability. Uh, and, and so, you know, you play it and you go, good. But I've been playing guitar long enough to go, that doesn't sound like what it's supposed to sound like. So it sounds in tune, and so it's got a built-in tuner on it, which, again, like, just showing off at this point, you know. Um, and, and so I, I put the tuner on, and it was all, you know, I brought it all back down. And what I realized in that moment is that just because something is in tune within its individuality does not mean it's in tune with the band. And part of what consecrating is about is going, we now want to move from being in tune with ourselves with the Holy Spirit to being in tune as the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit because something happens. The Bible is, is so clear about this. We're brethren dwell together in unity. That is where God commands his blessing. Something happens when we come together and pray. Something happens when we come together and worship. It doesn't mean something doesn't happen when you worship on your own at home. In fact, Jesus gives instructions for when that should happen. But he also gives instruction to come together. And we live in a time increasingly that now makes it possible for that. You know, all of our sermons are online, and that's awesome. That's great. But can I tell you something? That doesn't substitute for coming together. It's a great way to keep up with what's happening. But if, you know, and let me just speak to anyone listening online for just a moment. You can all tune out. If, if this is where you get your food from, you need to find a church. I don't know who to make eye contact with while I'm doing this. It's weird. Oh, I'll just eyeball you. You know, we have to live in community. This can be a this can be a, a add-on or what we listen to. You know, I, I listen to different things online. You can find better preachers than me online, but you cannot find community online. You cannot find, you cannot enter into the body of Christ without being in a room, without being in close proximity with other Christians and understanding that we exist for the same thing and that same thing is not ourselves. When I was in... <clears throat> banking down in Avocado. I have no idea to this day why we did this in banking, but I'm so grateful that we did it. I worked in a contact center with several people, and we le- were, you know, there was lending support across the road. So there was a whole bunch of us. There was like 30 in the contact center, a whole bunch of others. Over, you know, so, you know, maybe about 100 of us all up. And they did this exercise. They brought us all together, and they got us to blow up a balloon. If I'd been smart, I would have bought a whole bunch of balloons. We would have done it. They got us all to blow up a balloon and to write our name on it. And when we written our name on it, they got to sort of throw them in the agriculture business room. Because, you know. And so what we did is we put them all in there, and, you know, it's a small room, and there was a hundred-odd balloons, probably more. And then, so we're all standing there, and then we okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to all go and find your balloon. Can you imagine? Like, oh, you're in the game. Like, all the same color, by the way. So no clues at all. All exactly the same. The, the orange, because... Southland. Um, you know, and, and so going through this whole kind of thing, going through, and it took us ages and ages and ages and just before anything happened. And so then what they did is they went, okay, throw your balloons back in. And they went, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to go in there and I want you to find someone's balloon. Someone's balloon. We were done in three minutes. Because what happened is we went in and we found, you know, oh, this is Alice's balloon. Got your balloon. Subtle difference. Instead of going and looking for ourselves, we start looking out for the community, and that's where change happens. 
That's where the, it was a catalyst for breakthrough in the situation. I have no idea what it had to do with transferring money in people's accounts, but because yeah, they do all of that and go, cool, now go back to your desk and put your headset on and do not talk to each other. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> they were good years. They were good years. And so there's, this, there's something that happens, something that becomes about community where we do not live for ourselves, but we live for the whole. What does it look like to do that? What does it look like to live as a consecrated body? This is why we're going to take communion together this morning. How am I doing? Yeah, we've got a little bit of time. I want to just highlight some key things. Again, I haven't written a structured sermon since I got back from America. I make no apology for it. Uh, it's all scripturally based, but I don't have them on the screen. So I just trust that you'll be good Christians and do your homework. Good, easy. Uh, but so some of the things that we were talking about yesterday about the land, what, you know, land that needs cleansing is, is usually land that is not clean, right? And so there's four things in the Bible that, that, ex, that show what unclean land are. Idolatry, immorality, broken covenants, and bloodshed. Wherever those things happened, it usually made that ground unclean. Or if, they, if the Israelites received ground that was one of those four things, they, their first goal was to consecrate the land, to make it holy. And so we do that, you know, within a church context, you know, this, we can bring a lot of the same things in. Things that will sabotage unity and consecration within a church. Idolatry, immorality, bloodshed. Now, okay, we, thankfully, we don't have a whole lot of that. But we do, have, we, we do get emotional bloodshed, eh? We can, you know... We get caught in each other's firing lines, and, and sometimes we line up. It's like we're supposed to be shooting the bear, and we're too busy shooting each other. So we've got this broken covenants, actually, where it no longer becomes about what we've covenanted to do together, whether that's through a formal structure like membership or simply through going, we are all Christians, we all belong to one body, we all have the same aim. When we, when we start to become selfish within that, when there's things that begin to happen, when, you know, immorality doesn't just have to be about the, the you know, the big SEX. It can be about anything that is actually, uh, I, I'm, I'm dating two things at once. I'm doing something that actually I, I've been called not to do. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm practicing something that God has called me not to practice. And this isn't about, are your sins forgiven? This is not, Jesus paid for the, the price for your sins and then invited you to live free from your sin. He didn't just pay the price so you could go, oh, well, he then invites us to consecrate ourselves, to make ourselves holy. There are three things that God unpacked to me that I believe we need to do this morning as we lean into consecrating ourselves as a body. And um, I still don't know where that fits, but it will. Uh, I, I know it fits, I just haven't worked out when we're doing it. But these are the three things. Number one, repentance. Every entry into God's kingdom is through repentance. The gateway to righteousness is repentance. God doesn't require anything from us except that we turn to him. That's what repentance is. It literally means to turn 180 degrees. It means to stop walking the direction I'm walking and to walk towards God. For many of us, that looks like the first time that we opened our lives to Jesus, but we're on a constant journey of repentance. Eh? Uh, I any of you ever play Lemmings? Like two of us. Awesome. Okay. It's, uh, you know, basically your job was to get a hundred things from one place to the other, 
and, and usually there were a bunch of sores and holes and gaps and things in the way and you had to build. And, and one of the ones that I found impossible was you had to turn a hundred of them around. <laughs> and I, I look at it often and go, it's so much what my Christian journey looks like. I've turned 50 of my lemmings around. <laughs> the other 50 are still just a, a, a little lost. And so, you know, we're on this constant journey of turning things towards God. Repentance is one of the, the fundamental things that I believe we need to do. And I'm going to talk about what I think that looks like in a minute. Number two is forgiveness. Jesus is so clear throughout the Bible that we cannot enter into the fullness that he has for us while holding something against someone else. He's so clear on it. In fact, he puts it in his Lord's Prayer. The children are talking about the Lord's Prayer this morning. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You can work that one out with Jesus yourself. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about a man who gets forgiven of his debt gets let out of prison, and the first thing he does is goes and holds his smaller debt against someone else. And when the master hears about that, he throws him aside. He says, how dare you? The, the Jewish people on the Day of Atonement used to read the book of Jonah. The reason being, the moral of the story of the book of Jonah is not the moral that we draw from. The moral of the story of Jonah, because Jonah goes and proclaims, and they all repent. And then it says, God relented the calamity he had planned, and Jonah sits outside and sulks about it and goes, how dare you, God? I, he says, I knew you would do this. I knew you would be like this. And he sits outside the city sulking because God forgave them, and God goes, didn't I just forgive you? Didn't you deserve to be swallowed by a fish? And so the moral of the story of Jonah, which is the reason it's read on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Forgiveness, is it's not okay to be forgiven for your sin and expect everybody else to get swallowed. If you want to enter into a fully consecrated church, we have to have a culture of forgiveness. I'm going to talk about what that looks like in a minute. Thirdly, we have to have a culture of devotion. You know, the Bible says that the disciples in the book of Acts met together daily. It says they devoted themselves to one another and they devoted themselves to God. I want you to look to the left and to the right for just a moment. I want you to look in front of you and I want you to look behind you. Don't eyeball anyone because I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable who's just sort of tried to sneak in here. You know, Coach Carter would say, this is your team. <laughs> this is your team. The example set in the Bible is that we're supposed to devote ourselves to one another. And yet sometimes I'm fearful that what happens is we gather on a Sunday and then we go, I'll see you next week. But I'm also encouraged. You know, we, we, we've, got a, we've got a woman up in hospital at the moment, Gabby, who's, who's, who's had a fall and she's had, had surgery on her hip. She text, I texted her yesterday and said, I'm sorry, I didn't manage to get there. She's like, it's okay. I had seven other people visit me, plus the chaplain. <laughs> and it's when I hear that that I go, we're doing it! It's not about going, you know, everyone's got to get everywhere, but if everyone gets somewhere and if everybody devotes themselves to each other and then corporately devotes themselves towards God, that's where change comes. So repentance, forgiveness, and devotion to one another and to God. And so that's where communion fits into this because communion is about three things. It's about repentance. The Bible says that when you come to the table that you, we should come in a worthy manner which requires turning away from ourselves, turning away from our things and going, Jesus, I need to repent. 
The Bible also says that when we come to the table, if we're holding something against someone else, if we have unreconciled, we need to go. In other words, coming to the table is about forgiving not only for ourselves, but forgiving others. And communion is about devotion to God and to one another. The Bible's instructions for communion is whenever you gather, when you meet. Now, I know there are people here that take communion every day together by themselves in the house. Amen. Great. I know people who have wonderful testimonies about that. But there is an aspect of communion that is supposed to be enjoyed with one another. And one of the things that I want to do differently today, and it's going to be hard in rows, is I don't want you to just sit and take communion by yourself. I want you to take communion with the people that you're devoted to. The joy of that is you might be here for the very first time this morning. Guess what? The moment you walked in, we devoted ourselves to you. You, you might come once a year and you might be here this morning. We're devoted to you. We love you. We want you to be a part of us. Whether that's forever or whether that's for a weekend, whatever that looks like. If you, the other side of it is if you are traveling through here today and you are part of the body of Christ, you were family before you even walked in the door. Because we've got satellite campuses all around the world. They just don't have our name on them. And I don't get invited to preach at any of them. <laughs> but we, oh shush, don't give me that. It's, uh, <laughs> but here's what I want us to do. I'd like to invite the music team to come. And I'd like to invite the stewards, if they could come and prepare to serve communion. Uh, I don't know what that looks like, but we'll just, we'll just bluff again. It's going to get a little bit messy. How many people know church is a little messy? We're cool with that? Everyone's cool with a little bit of messy church? One of the churches down the road, they do a thing called Messy Church. I went, why would you do something? Our church is messy enough without having an event called Messy Church. It's like... <laughs> but here's what I want to do. I don't care if the chairs get messed up. I don't care if whatever. If, if you just want to sit with a group of people today and you're not a Christian and you don't want to take communion, you don't feel comfortable with that, do, don't feel like you've got to put yourself on the side. Just, just, join a, just join a group. You don't have to take communion. No one will push you out, condemn you, anything like that. This is an environment of love and devotion to one another. And let me, let me pray for these emblems, and as they're being passed out, uh, I'll share one more thing before the band start ministering to us again. Jesus, we thank you that you are the reason for it all. We thank you for your body broken for us, for your blood shed for us. Jesus, you didn't do this just because it was cool. You didn't do this just because you were told to. You did this because you saw something and you desired something for your creation. Your final prayer, you prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one. And so God, this morning as we take communion, as we consecrate ourselves as the bride of Christ, we want to be reminded to be one with each other and to be one with you. We thank you for your love poured out. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness, for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys could start distributing, that would be great. And as, as you receive your emblems, just find someone to take communion with this morning. You might want to pray together. You might want to talk with each other. I'm not actually going to put any rules on it. Just that you're together. Uh, and so, you know, work that out. And in this moment, take some time with each other and with God to talk about repentance, forgiveness, 
and devotion. Take this heart, Lord, I'll be 